Murder in the North, Episode 7, Yona, Louisa and Jonas, A Love Triangle. The hardened detective has his suspicions. Something isn't quite right about the story he's being told. He dials up the pressure on the young woman sitting in front of him, and she finally cracks. But she goes on to reveal something so horrific, it beggars belief. The motive for her actions is as old as humankind itself. Passionate love turned to all-consuming jealousy, with fatal consequences. You're listening to Murder in the North, a podcast about some of the most shocking murder cases in Scandinavia. Our account of these cases is based on sources in the public domain, including interviews, press releases and court proceedings. Some narrative details were seen as irrelevant to the plot and therefore left out. This podcast series contains scenes of violence that some listeners may find distressing. You're listening to a true story, as researched by Anna Nilica and Barbara Gearholf-Nilholm, and told by me, Jenna Sharp. Yona has left a handwritten note on Jonas's desk. Hey, I'm guessing that you haven't been in touch because you've made your decision. I came here to collect my things. Wacky Louisa let me in. I guess you're moving on with her. I've taken everything that might remind you of me, and I'll leave your key in the letterbox. I hope you and Louisa will be happy together. You two are quite similar when you're angry. I'll always love you, Jonas. Take care of yourself, Yona. By the looks of it... The love triangle is finally over. An intense, year-long battle for Jonas's love ends with a few handwritten lines on a piece of paper. There's just one thing Jonas would like to know. Where is Louisa? Jonas and Jona first crossed paths a year ago. They meet one summer evening in a pub in Askersund, where Jonas lives. After a few phone calls and some chatting on Facebook, they decide to go official. Jona is happy. She's 23, and although she's been in love before, she's never felt the way she feels about Jonas. Jonas is like a drug. That's how she puts it sometimes. He's her everything. And Jonas, for his part, refers to her as his future wife, the mother of his children. Up until now, horses have always been Jonas' biggest passion. She has a job working with disabled people, but also plenty of spare time, which she likes to spend in nature. She lives in the countryside, surrounded by fields and woods, with a lot of space for her horses and dogs. She bought the house with her ex-boyfriend, and they both still live there, even though their relationship ended a long time ago. 
But after a few tempestuous months, Yona feels as though Jonas is beginning to distance himself from her. Winter is coming, and Jonas seems colder and more detached, and then she stops hearing from him altogether. He doesn't respond to her messages, doesn't pick up when she phones, and when she turns up at his flat with a Christmas present, he doesn't answer the door. And so, 2014 kicks off with a broken heart for Yona, who tries to drown her sorrows by partying, flirting a bit here and there, and by drinking lots of alcohol. But suddenly, Jonas walks back into her life. He's on the other side of the world, on holiday in Thailand, but throughout February, he sends Yona photos and sweet messages. Her hopes are rekindled and just as soon dashed again. When Jonas returns to Askesund, he's as distant as he was before Christmas. And then he unfriends her on Facebook. It doesn't get any clearer than that. But Yona is not prepared to let him just walk out of her life again, not without an explanation. She drives over to his flat and rings the doorbell. This time, he does answer, and he even seems pleased to see her. He's missed her, he says, and invites her in. Yona and Jonas have a lovely evening on the sofa. They watch a film together, wrapped in each other's arms, just like they used to. Yona even stays the night. The next day, Yona and a girlfriend go into town for a party. As the evening progresses and the alcohol levels rise, she feels a very strong pull. She has to get back to Jonas. It's quite late when she arrives back on his doorstep again, but this time, Jonas isn't at all pleased by her surprise visit. What is she doing here? He demands to know. Yona is intoxicated, in love, and a little bewildered. How can Jonas be so sweet and kind one day, and so cold and angry the next? Inside, Jonas's phone is ringing. He tries to ignore it, but it won't stop. Yona follows him in when he goes to pick up. She sees him flinch when he answers the phone and hears a furious female voice on the line. Yona can't quite make out what's being said, but he's clearly getting told off by a woman. The woman on the other end of the line is Luisa. She and Jonas have been friendly since childhood, but what Yona doesn't know is that they've become more than just friends. Eventually, Jonas manages to end the phone call. Still a bit pale, he tells Yona that she has to go home right now. He'll take her, he says, and is already heading for the door. But Yona doesn't want to go anywhere and blocks his way. She's still drunk and baffled by Jonas's behavior, but there's no stopping Jonas. He leaves Yona where she is and makes his way across the living room to the balcony. The flat 
is on the first floor. Jonas clambers over the railing and jumps down. He gets into his car and waits. After a while, Jonas storms out of the flat and sits down in the passenger seat. Jonas had better tell her what's going on, damn it. The answer isn't long in coming, because that very moment, the door on the passenger side is yanked open. It's Luvisa, yelling even louder than she did a few minutes earlier on the phone. She wants Jonas to explain what the hell is going on. Why is he sitting in the car with his ex? Luvisa slams the door shut and stomps off. The word X keeps ringing in Yona's ears. X? Luvisa just described Yona as Jonas's ex. It sounded like Luvisa thinks that she's taken her place as Jonas's girlfriend. Driving in the car back to Yona's house, Jonas doesn't say anything. He's taking her home, and that's that. In the days that follow, there's no word from him. Radio silence. The next few weeks, Yona is heartbroken. She struggles just to get through each day. And then, suddenly, Jonas reappears. It's April, and spring is in the air. He's no longer in touch with Luvisa, he claims. Yona is relieved. She's gone from ex to girlfriend again. She's pleased that everything is back to how it was. It's as if they've never been apart. Yona spends as much time as possible with Jonas. She even has a key to his flat. She still owns the house in the country with her ex-boyfriend, but she's practically moved in with Jonas. By early May, however, Luisa is back in Jonas's life. And Jonna can't do much about it, since she's in Germany for a week, attending a wedding with friends. Jonas messages every day, but it hasn't escaped Jonna's attention that Lavisa has suddenly appeared at the top of his best friends list on Snapchat. That means they're chatting regularly, even though Jonas claims to have broken off full contact with her. Jonna has a strange sense of foreboding when she gets back to Sweden. She can't shake her suspicions, not even when Jonas explains that he and Lovisa are just friends. It seems that the second Jonna turns her back, Lovisa tries to come between them. Jonna feels sick just thinking about it. In the days that follow, she starts to feel nauseous, with a weird sensation in her belly. After a while, she can no longer put it down to the big wedding party and all that German beer. Something else must be upsetting her stomach. She's pregnant. But Jonas hopes that Jonas will embrace this great news are short-lived. Jonas isn't pleased at all. Quite the opposite. He insists that Jonna gets rid of the baby. He's not ready to be a father. Jonna herself isn't sure about having a child either. She's only 24 and thinks it's too early for a baby. 
not least because her relationship with Jonas feels like an emotional roller coaster at the moment. There was a time when Jonas referred to Jona as the future mother of his children. But now he doesn't think twice about telling her to have an abortion. It's always something with Jonas. She tells him what he wants to hear, that she got rid of the child, but that's a lie. It doesn't exactly improve their relationship, and while Jonas doesn't break up with Jonna, he keeps seeing Lavisa. He often spends the night with her, only to invite Jonna over to his place the next day. Jonna hates it, but she can't let go of Jonas. It's June when this intolerable situation comes to a head one night in the pub. Jonas is out with some colleagues when Jona walks into the bar, and then Luvisa. Jonas is already pretty drunk when he suddenly finds himself caught between two women who are both yelling at him and demanding that he choose between them. It's doing his head in. But Jonna and Lavisa both refuse to leave. So they stay, until eventually the whole group decides to go somewhere else. Out in the street, Jonna is sick. She apologizes and tells one of Jonas's colleagues that she's pregnant. Jonas is furious when he hears this. He thought she'd promised him to get rid of the child. And they're at it again, especially when Luvisa starts meddling. The women pick up where they left off. They want Jonas to choose between them. But Jonas doesn't feel like choosing. He leaves the two women where they are and walks off into the night with his colleagues. Luvisa and Jona have a lot to discuss. They sit down in Luvisa's car and talk for almost an hour. It soon becomes clear that Jonas has been telling them both the same lies. The situation can't go on like this. That much the two women agree on. Jonas has reached the same conclusion, because a few hours later, he phones both Jona and Luvisa. Could they come to his flat to talk? The third attempt that night to get him to choose is also unsuccessful. Jonas is still drunk, and the conversation comes to nothing. A frustrated Luvisa gives up and goes home. Jona, on the other hand, stays with Jonas. The following morning... Jonas doesn't seem all that bothered by the heated discussions from the night before. Everything is back to normal between him and Jonna, or so it seems. She tries to explain why she lied about the abortion, and she's relieved when he says he understands. Then, a few days later, the one thing that Jonna has been hoping for all this time actually happens. Jonas makes his choice. He tells Jonna that he's ending his relationship with Luvisa once and for all. In other words, he's choosing Jonna. During the week that follows, 
Yona is with Jonas 24-7. She's happy, but still not completely sure of the situation. A voicemail from Louisa on Jonas's phone is enough to ruin a chilled Sunday on the sofa. Yona feels so sick she even throws up. Disappointed, she drives back home. The next morning, she regrets her impulsive reaction. Later that day, she sends Jonas a message apologizing and saying that she'd like to come round again that evening. But Jonas's reply confirms her biggest fear. He says he needs some space. Yona is crying on the phone. She's afraid to be alone, and she really needs him. She begs at Jonas, who manages to persuade him to let her come over. A few days later, Yona needs Jonas again. It's quite urgent this time. She's had to go into hospital because her abdomen really hurt. It turned out to be a blocked fallopian tube, she tells Jonas afterwards, and shows him the surgery scar. She spends the night with him, but her misgivings are back with a vengeance the very next day. She's about to go home when Jonas asks to have his flat keys back. He needs time to himself, he says. Do you want to be with Louisa, she asks. Jonas denies it, but Jonna can't shake the thought. Of course, she's prepared to give him time and space to himself, but it looks like there's more to it, not least because he wants his key back. Jonna is convinced that Louisa will try to come between them again. The next few days are sheer hell for Jonna. She can't sleep, and when she's not on social media to check her love rival's profiles, she's crying or throwing up. It's summer again. It's now been a year since Jonna met Jonas in the pub. A year in which the happy, outgoing and popular girl that loved horses and nature has turned into an emotional wreck. She's caught in a whirlwind of love, disappointment and jealousy, but she just can't let go of Jonas. She feels like a junkie, and Jonas is her drug. After crying for four days and nights without any sleep, she realizes that the time has come for decisive action. The sun is only just up when Jonna leaves home on Wednesday the 18th of June. At around 5 a.m., she arrives at Louisa's address. She looks for her car, but it isn't there. Yona continues on to the neighborhood where Jonas lives, and yes, there it is, Louisa's car. Yona's greatest fear has materialized. From where she's sitting in the driver's seat, she keeps her eyes fixed on the flat, which until so very recently had felt like home. Jonas will be getting up soon because he starts work at six. It should be Yona kissing him goodbye at the door, but now Louisa has taken her place. Yona gets out of her car and paces back and forth in front of Jonas's front door. Then 
She retrieves a bag from the vehicle and enters the building. She positions herself at the bottom of the stairs so she can keep an eye on the door to Jonas's flat. She's ready. When Jonas comes home from work late afternoon, his flat is empty. He finds a handwritten farewell note from Jona on his desk. He tries to call Lavisa but can't get through. He gets in touch with her friends and her mother, but nobody knows where she is. He also phones Jona repeatedly, leaving her voice messages, but she doesn't return his calls. Jona listens to Jonas's voicemails, but ignores his phone calls. She doesn't want to talk to him. He's asking if she knows where Lovisa is, because nobody knows where she's gone. Jona is getting nervous now, and doesn't know what to do. She turns to her sister for help, telling her that she and Lovisa had a fight in Jonas's flat. Lovisa suddenly grabbed a knife and stabbed Jona in the hand. Jona was able to wrest the knife from her, and in the ensuing struggle, Jona struck Lovisa in the neck. It was an accident, Jona says. It really was. She panicked and fled the scene, but it wasn't long before she felt bad about walking away. She went back later to see if Lovisa was okay, but she'd gone, and someone had tidied up and cleaned the flat in the meantime. Now, Jonas keeps calling her, saying that Lovisa has disappeared, and Jona doesn't know what to do. Her sister tries to calm her down. There must be a perfectly good explanation for the whole thing. She's sure of it. Either way, Jona has to tell the police what happened. Jona follows her sister's advice. She contacts the police and tells them about the confrontation that got out of hand and that Lovisa has gone missing now. The police officer who answers her call promises to check in with the local hospitals to see if Lovisa has been admitted to any of them. A few hours later, during the night of the 18th and 19th of June, Jona is questioned by the police. She keeps rattling off the same story. But the veteran detective sitting opposite her has his doubts. How did Jona get into Jonas's flat the second time, he wants to know. Didn't she drop the key in the letterbox? Jona comes up with several explanations, all of them contradictory. Her account becomes increasingly muddled and the detective is beginning to lose his patience. Now tell me what really happened, he snaps at her in frustration. Then it comes, at last, the confession. I murdered her. Listening to Jona's new story, her detailed description of what she's supposed to have done, the detective grows more and more sceptical. He's experienced enough to know that the most hair-raising stories can be true, but he can barely believe what this young woman is telling him. In the dead of night, 
the detectives arrive at the place in the forest that Yona told him about, some 25 miles from Askersund. It's not until he sees a hand among the moss and the branches that he realises that her ghastly account is really true. Yona did her homework before she drove to Askersund at the crack of dawn. Her online searches reveal plenty of hits. How do you drug someone? And what's the easiest way to kill someone? She stole some sleeping pills from one of her clients and dissolved them in vodka, drawing the mixture up into two syringes. She also grabbed a kitchen knife and the hammer she normally uses for shoeing her horses, packing everything into a bag. Once Jonas has gone off to work, she waits in the stairwell. A short while later, Louisa emerges from the flat and is about to lock up when Jonas sprints up the stairs and hits her on the back of the head with the hammer. She whacks her as hard as she can to make sure that Louisa goes down. But the opposite happens. Louisa screams, turns around and tries to push Yona away. Yona takes another swing with the hammer. Although Louisa is still struggling and screaming at the top of her lungs, Yona manages to open the door to the flat, shove Louisa inside and quickly close the door behind them. Louisa is bleeding heavily, but she keeps shouting for help, so Yona hits her again. Suddenly, the doorbell rings, not once, but non-stop, followed after a while by a loud banging on the door. Yona drags Louisa into the bathroom, snatches a towel, and presses it firmly against her love rival's face, until eventually she grows quiet. But it's not long before Louisa starts screaming again and flailing about. Meanwhile, the doorbell keeps ringing. Yona has to do something. She takes the syringes and tries to put one in Louisa's arm. It hits her in the neck instead. Louisa is putting up such a struggle that the syringe drops to the ground and smashes to pieces. Everything is going wrong. That's when Yona pulls the kitchen knife out of her bag. She stabs multiple times, but Louisa just won't calm down. The knife seems to be blunt, so Yona dashes into the living room and takes Jonas's pocket knife from the desk drawer. She bends over Louisa and stabs her again, in the neck this time. At long last, Louisa is quiet. The doorbell stops ringing. Louisa is dead. Now, Yona will have to get rid of the body somehow. She runs to her car to fetch a large IKEA bag. But back in the flat, it dawns on her that she won't be able to carry the dead Louisa. She'll have to come up with another solution before Jonas is back from work. It's only now that Yona notices that her hand is bleeding. The cut is deep. She finds some bandages in a drawer 
and dresses the wound as best she can, all the while trying to work out what to do next. First, Yona takes Louise's car keys and moves the car so it looks like she went to work. Then she drives home in her own vehicle to collect a saw and some extra IKEA bags. On the way back to Askersund, she's stopped by a patrol car. Yona holds her breath, convinced that she's about to be arrested. But the police officers have no way of knowing that the woman they've stopped is a murderer on her way to cut up her victim. Yona was speeding, that's all. She's given a ticket and a warning to keep within the limit in the future. After that, she's free to go on. As soon as she gets back to Jonas's flat, Yona sets to work with the saw and the IKEA carrier bags. She cuts Luisa's body into four chunks on the bathroom floor. Then she puts the body parts, as well as the bloody towels, into the big bags. They're so heavy that Yona can only carry one at a time and has to go back and forth to get them all in the car. During one of those trips, she bumps into one of Jonas's neighbors. It's the neighbor who'd been frantically ringing the doorbell earlier. She'd come to see what the screaming and banging was all about. She sounds very concerned and asks if Jonas has been hitting her. Yona explains that she had an argument with another woman, but that everything is okay now. Back inside, she tries to get the place cleaned up. She rinses Jonas's pocket knife and puts it back into the desk drawer. She scrubs the floor and hoses the entire bathroom down with the showerhead. Some blood has dripped onto the carpet in the hallway. Yona cuts off the stained bits. The shower curtain and matching bath mat are also covered in blood. She wraps them both up and, together with Luisa's rucksack, slips everything into an Ikea bag. Good for you for moving on so soon, she writes a note to Jonas and leaves it on his desk. I've taken everything that might remind you of me, and I'll leave your key in the letterbox. I hope you and Luisa will be happy together. You two are quite similar when you're angry. I'll always love you, Jonas. Take care of yourself, Yona. It's just after two o'clock now, and Yona has been gone for ten hours. Even though she's expected at work in less than an hour, she makes a quick detour via the supermarket parking lot, where she leaves the car and the body parts in the boot. Then she picks up Louisa's car and drives it to work. She tries hard to act normal when she arrives to meet her client, but the colleague she's taking over from can tell something's wrong. Yona's hand is still bleeding right through the makeshift bandaging. Yana explains that she and her boyfriend split up and that when she wanted to drop off her key and collect her stuff, she suddenly found herself face to face with his new girlfriend. They got into an argument and when this escalated into a fight, 
the woman stabbed Yonna in the hand. The colleague is shocked and insists that she gets it checked by a doctor. Yonna has to take a client to hospital during her shift anyway, so she might as well combine the two things. Meanwhile, Yonna's phone is ringing non-stop. It's Jonas. He's come home and has found the note. Yonna is feeling the pressure. She tells her colleague that she has to take care of something, that it's urgent, and persuades him to take over her shift. There's still so much to do. To begin with, Yona has to get rid of Louise's car. She drives it to Hallsberg, a few miles from town, where she leaves it outside a train station. That way, Yona reasons, it will look like Louisa took a trip somewhere. She takes the bus back to collect her own car from the supermarket. During the journey, she scours the internet and Googles all kinds of questions, such as, can you be convicted of murder when no body is found and run over by a train? What if Louisa's body, with traces of sleeping pills and vodka in her blood, is found close to the tracks? Maybe she can make it look like a suicide. Back in her own car, Yona has trouble concentrating. She can't stop panicking. She rushes home and picks up a shovel. Then she drives another 25 miles until she gets to the edge of the forest. By now, Yona is absolutely exhausted. She's able to dig a small hole into which she throws the kitchen knife and the hammer. But she finds it impossible to bury the large carrier bags. Instead, she drags them into the forest and covers them with some branches and moss. When it comes to the bags with the blood-soaked towels, she doesn't even bother trying to conceal them and just tosses them somewhere among the trees. It looks like she's pulled it off. It was all so much harder than she'd imagined, but she's done it. And when she tells her sister the same story as her colleague earlier, it starts to feel like the truth. But only hours later, she'll confess everything to a detective. In little under a year, in the spring of 2015, the case is brought to trial. Yona denies intentionally killing Louisa, claiming that she only meant to frighten Louisa into staying away from Jonas. The evidence, however, suggests a very different story. Jonas's statements, as well as those of Yona's other ex-boyfriends, paint her as an extremely possessive person. The knife, the syringes with vodka and sleeping pills, all hint at very thorough preparation. Yona's internet searches and all the efforts to cover up her tracks lead the court to conclude that this was most certainly a case of premeditated murder. During the trial, it emerges that the operation for a blocked fallopian tube never actually happened. Yona inflicted the wound on herself, 
and then sewed up the cut afterwards. She claims to have lost the baby to a miscarriage shortly after Jonas found out that she'd lied about the abortion. That said, serious doubts remain as to whether she was ever pregnant in the first place. Jonna Henningsen is convicted of the murder of 22-year-old Luisa and of desecration of a body. She's sentenced to life in prison, the maximum penalty. She serves her sentence in Hinsberg Prison, where Sweden's most dangerous female criminals are held. During her first year there, Jonna falls in love with a fellow prisoner. When her feelings are not reciprocated, she soon resorts to intimidation and other aggressive behavior. The woman reports her and is transferred to another detention center for her own safety. But Jonna has no intention of stopping her amorous advances. She writes letter after letter and even threatens to send somebody after the woman's younger brother. It's not until the authorities issue a restraining order and threaten to increase her sentence that Jonna stops stalking her. From Podimo, this is Murder in the North. A new episode every week, wherever you get podcasts. And for early access to episodes and to listen ad-free, subscribe to Podimo UK on Apple Podcasts. Podcasts.